On this episode of Public Research with Daniel Schwartz, a rising right-wing star with billionaire backers is unmasked as a prolific writer for several racist and anti-Semitic websites. Today, the story of Richard Hanania with Jonathan Katz, author of The Racket Substack. How did Richard Hanania come on your radar in the first place? Twitter. He was just a guy on Twitter um, who was just saying you know, for years, I would encounter him, you know, and people responding to him and getting into Twitter fights with him. And he would just say just like off the wall racist stuff. Um, and I honestly didn't really pay him a ton of mind because I was like, oh, it's just a guy. It's just a racist guy on Twitter. It's like, it must be a day ending in Y, right? Like I said, that that, that happens all the time. And, you know, the thing that, that, you know, got him a little bit more of my attention. And I think, you know, other people's is that he, he's erudite, you know, he would, you know, he would try to sort of make these kind of intellectual sounding arguments, but he would just say just like dumb, hateful shit. Um, so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to him. What got my attention uh, in a way that I decided to actually write about him was that he appeared on Substack's flagship podcast, The Active Voice. Um, and Hamish McKenzie, uh, who is the, you know, one of the co-founders of Substack, like was interviewing him. So I, so I found that on, 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 the, on the Twitter competitor, Substack Notes, um, that there was this podcast episode. I was like, you're having on Richard Hanania? Like, what? <laughs> what? And I listened to it, and it was just such a gentle, um, you know, yes and kind of conversation, which ended with Hanania, you know, uh, Hamish McKenzie asking Richard, what um you know other Substack writers he recommends and he recommended uh steve sailor who actually um hamish brought up first uh, who's a, steve sailor is a notorious white supremacist um is he know, on Substack? yeah oh. pretty sure i'm pretty sure i mean i can tell you that i can tell you that hanania recommended him um i'm pretty sure he was recommending a Substack. somebody who is definitely on Substack. Um, who Hanania recommended is this guy, Emil Kierkegaard, who's a real piece of work, a Danish German ethno-nationalist, as he calls himself, um, got made, made waves even in his community for um, basically literally recommending like trigger warning here, but like recommending child rape. Like he was like, he had this like uh, suggestion that like you could like rape children as long as you drug them first. It was crazy crazy stuff and Hanania is like oh yeah this guy you know Emil Kierkegaard is like definitely somebody to, worth listening to he and thinks it, out, he thinks outside the box he's, 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 <laughs> uh, it's hard to pin down you know yeah he's, uh, he's he's asking he's asking the big questions and you know he's also he's he is a a you know just a, a, a hateful guy in general and uh you know and 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 Hamish who I know, I mean, I, I actually don't think we've ever met in person, but I've, I've been writing on Substack for four years now, four and a half years. It was Hamish who personally, you know, reached out to me. I like, I set up an account without, you know, planning on really posting anything in, in 2019. And Hamish saw that I had and reached out to me and we had like a number of phone conversations in which he personally encouraged me to, to get involved and, you know, promised an open line to, to Substack uh, uh, management 
um, which was an easy thing to promise in those days because Substack was a much smaller game than it is now. Um, and I was just like, how, like how, what, how, this guy who's just like insane, like racist Twitter troll um, is getting, you know, this, this velvet glove treatment um, on Substack's flagship podcast. Like what's up with that? And so I was just like, well, I'll get a newsletter out of that. <laughs> I'll, I'll write about who this guy is. Um, and it was in doing that that I I really started digging a little bit more into who Richard Hanania is and and what's behind him. Just just to give people an idea of some of the stuff that he tweets, this is a tweet from Richard Hanania. I don't have much hope that we'll solve crime in any meaningful way. It would require a revolution in our culture or form of government. We need more policing, incarceration, and surveillance of Black people. Blacks won't appreciate it. Whites don't have the stomach for it. So and that's what he was. Uh, that's what he was tweeting under his own name. That was this year. So you start looking into his organization. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I. Um... Look, I'm just, I'm a reporter. I have just like reporter <laughs> muscle memory. You know, when I'm, when I'm writing a piece about somebody, um, I just start looking for information about them. Who is this guy? Um, you know, what, you know, what, what sort of organizations is, is he affiliated with? And in Hanania's Twitter bio, um, he identifies himself first and foremost as I, I think the term, I think the, the title he gives himself as president, um, but that he's the head of this think tank, um, the Center for Partisanship, or Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of, um, I've done a lot of reporting on nonprofits and NGOs. Um, I was the uh, Associated Press correspondent bureau chief in Haiti um, during the 2010 earthquake. My first book was about, you know, the, the, the international response to that earthquake. So I'm used to, you know, encountering, you know, different kinds of nonprofits, different kinds of 501c3s. One of my sort of rules of thumb, and this is not unique to me, is that the more innocuous the name, <laughs> the more suspect, <laughs> or like the 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 more I, I want to say suspicious. There's there's another word I'm looking for, but like the you know the the more heightened my senses are. It's like okay, so what is the center for the study of partisanship and ideology? And I'm looking for you know I I look at their website. They have a Substack for for that specifically. Um, they have a podcast, which which Richard um, is the host of. They have you know a number of of prominent guests, uh, including Mark Andreessen, Stephen Pinker, um, Brian Kaplan from from uh, Mercatus at, at George Mason. And I'm like, well, I forget exactly like you know at, at what point in my sort of initial like poking around, um, but you know when I see a when I see a 501c3, I go for the for the 990s, <laughs> I go for the for the tax documents because they're there, right? Um, it's it's public information. Um, it's there for anybody who wants to see it. And a lot of times, you can tell a lot about a uh, a nonprofit by their tax filings, um, especially the the larger ones, the the more professional ones. Um, they'll put in their tax filing 
you know, the things that they did in the past year that they're most proud of. Um, they'll put in, you know, their sources of funding. They'll put in, you know, their expenses, their location, just like lots of stuff, you know, they information uh, that that is 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 grist for the reporting mill. Um, and what I noticed um, was that uh, this organization that Hanania is the head of is, first of all, extremely small. Um, it's got two other uh right-wing academics um uh oh, i'm blanking on the names george hawley uh from uh the university of alabama, alabama. uh and oh what was his, the other one um he's in uh eric kaufman university of london and the hudson institute um and uh ultimately that this organization and this this it took a couple of different, you know, uh, rounds of, of, of reporting um, to uncover this. And uh, I, I put out one newsletter and, and actually, you know, some people who um, had some, some, you know, 990 searching tricks that, that I either hadn't thought of or, or had forgotten um, uh, to like look for, you know, different sources of this funding. Um, but basically this organization had taken in like $1.2 million from 2020 to 2022. Um, so one thing, uh, and, and cut me off if I'm, if I'm droning, but like one thing that is notable to me is that this thing starts in 2020, right? It start, and this is, this is obviously a big moment in, you know, the history of American race relations in the history of, of, um, civil rights. Um, you know, there's, there's the Black Lives Matter protests, the, the George Floyd uprising, and, you know, for, at that moment, for a thing, for, for a center that bills itself as the center for the study of partisanship and ideology, but seems to be um, uh, the, the, the one thing that is interested in studying and the ideology that it is trying and the partisanship that it is trying to, to criticize very clearly um, is, you know, diversity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, you know, attempts to, to uh, repair um, uh, structural racism and the damages of, of, of America's history of racism, stuff like that, right? For an organization like that to pop up kind of out of nowhere in 2020, that's interesting, right? And it then brings in, you know, $1.2 million um, in its, you know, first, I guess, three years. And in the 990s, um, you can see who they're paying grants to because like the, the organization which is by the way based out of what has to be Hanania's house it's it's a house in 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 uh, the San Gabriel Valley uh, you know outside of Los Angeles um it's based in one house and then uh you know a couple years later after this organization has brought in more money it moves to like another house like I look up the houses on Zillow right this is all public information and um it has to be his house and this organization, like what it is, is a money funnel. M money is going in and it's going out basically to um, the guys who run it and their friends. So the first year they give out two grants. One is to Hawley and one is to Kaufman. Um, and then the next year and the year after that, the big winner of this money is Richard Tanania. 
how many pockets, you know, $297,500. So I'm almost $300,000. And then I started looking like, well, who's funding this thing? We could talk about that if you want. Um, But I was just, I was interested because, you know, it's, it's notable when, you know, as, as, as uh, Hamish McKenzie said in, in his, uh, you know, in- introduction of him on, on the Substack podcast, this guy seems to have come out of nowhere. Um, but nobody really comes out of nowhere. Like people, you know, t- t- to start getting a national platform like that, someone has to be helping you in some way, either it's a national publication hiring you or as often happens on the right, you know, billionaires, um, you know, bankrolling people uh, so that they can spend all of their time, um, you know, fighting on Twitter and writing op-eds and, and you know, doing sort of intellectual production. Um, and it seemed that uh, while I'm sure Richard's Substack is doing, you know, decently, um, that a lot of the money that he's getting is through this kind of sketchy uh 501c3 that he runs for the audience if they don't know this guy can maybe let's let's explain what what's his what's he about if you had to explain to somebody like on the on the street what are his big so he's a libertarian i guess that's that's what he says now right so there's who there's this i i like i i'm trying to talk about this guy without sounding conspiratorial but it's it is um, like as as you noted, um, he. What I'm trying to say is what I'm what I'm what I'm getting ahead of myself and trying to say is there is his sort of current public facing persona, and then I think there is who he actually is, um, and those things are very closely related. But if you aren't somebody who swims in those waters, um, is used to just like critical reading of you know racists and you know the the far right and and the and and the ways that they position themselves um there were things that that you know somebody who is revealed themselves yes yeah somebody who's maybe more naive you know could have yeah yeah, let let's we're going to get into the 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 surprise in a second but let's just say the the, the new version of him right so here's the new the, the 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 way that i think that most people who are promoting or encountering Richard Hanani would describe him is that he is, you know, a libertarian kind of a, you know, clearly a right, a right leaning guy. Um, but, but somebody who's a little bit idiosyncratic, right. He, you know, he's very anti-woke obsessed with, you know, wokeism and, and dismantling it. But, you know, he also uh, was, you know, in favor, I believe of like the COVID vaccine. Right. So people who were on the right were like, you know, hey, Richard, like, you know, it's a, you know, this is Bill Gates is, you know, trying to implant microchips into our bodies. And, and Richard's like, no, that's not true. That the, the, the vaccine helps people. It was, it was sort of stuff like that. Right. And so, like, that was kind of, that's kind of his, you know, he's, he's an academic. Um, I should, I shouldn't, that, that maybe is the first thing. Um, he got a PhD in political science at um, UCLA. And in my initial round of reporting on him, I went and read his doctoral thesis as his dissertation, uh, which is uh, eye-opening in and of itself. Well, what's, what's it about? What's... 
Um, it was about um, he, he he was the 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 main argument um, that popped out to me as I was reading it. It's it's about foreign policy, um, and it's about you know international intervention by the United States. Um, which is a thing that I'm, by the way, very interested in myself. Um, my my most recent book is about um, you know American empire and gangsters and of capitalism. Gangsters of capitalism. That's it. And you know I've I've you know I've been a foreign correspondent for 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 uh, most of my career, and and I I you know, cover the military. Like this, these are things that are, I'm interested in. His take on it is one of the weirdest takes that I've ever read because his his position is basically that American foreign policy, you know, he's looking, he's, he's looking at the way that liberals and the way conservatives approach foreign policy. And basically he, he devises these surveys himself and uh, his surveys um, are like, what he finds is that liberals are basically so obsessed with helping black people and hurting white people that their sort of, you know, reverse racism, I guess would be like the nineties the way of, of, of describing it euphemistically leads them to oppose, uh, you know, the, the, to, to back intervention when it's going to help black people and oppose it if it's going to help white people. That's, that's, that's like one of his major, that's one of his major theses. Um, the title of his uh, dissertation was Moral Psychology and Support for the Use of Force in the International System. The other thing about uh, Richard, which is interesting, and also I think makes him seem more interesting or more Id idiosyncratic than I think he actually is, um, is that he is the child of immigrants. His parents are Jordanian and Palestinian. I believe that they're both Christian um, he grew up in, you know, the south suburbs of Chicago. And, you know, he's writing this thesis. This thesis comes out like in the in the late 20 teens, I think like 2017, 2018. And he is, you know, he he's writing, he's obviously doing his research um, you know, in an in an atmosphere in which Americans at that time and for the, you know, the the decade and a half, two decades prior, have been obsessed with above all intervention in the Middle East. And he's writing about this as somebody who has this somewhat complicated identity from the Middle East, right? As a Christian. And so one of his findings that that he thinks is very interesting is that conservatives show a preference for intervening on behalf of Christians over Muslims. But then he says that they are free of racial prejudice. And then, and, and like I said, he thinks that liberals are, are just, they're too into black people <laughs> and, and that they're willing to, they're willing to bomb, bomb people if, if they think it's going to help black people. The, and, the, and, and this is them. important as we'll talk about, are his parents post 65 immigrants? I believe, I don't know. I I assume so, um, right. because I think I, I believe I've seen him describe them as immigrants. He's you know he's in his thirties, so he was born in the eighties. Um, so you know his parents wouldn't be if they came if they came before um, the you know the 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 immigration reform uh, in sixty five. Um, then they would have had to have come as as very young children. Um, well, that's I, bad news for them because uh, 
they gotta go <laughs> according yeah. to their son yeah uh, yeah exactly I, it's, it's <laughs> yeah because that's one of his one of his positions is um uh that and this I'll, is I'll, yeah yeah I can't even remember. Is this one of his Hanania positions or one of his hospitals? Host, host. Oh, okay. This is one of the yeah. host position. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, his acad, his academic uh, credentials. He he earned a J. I think he went to. I don't think he graduated high school, and he went to. He, he, he got a GED. Went to University of Colorado. Right. Then he got JD from the University of Chicago Law School in 2013. PhD in political science at UCLA in 2018. Then he landed a postdoctoral research fellowship at Columbia University Saltzman Institute of War and Peace Studies. Yeah, you know, I I think that's cool for someone who got a GED, but um, <laughs> yeah, but so I hate how much we know about this guy. Yeah, yeah. So it comes out this year as mm. he's you know getting all these billionaire friends like Mark Andreessen. His, his career's he's got a book coming out called The Origins of Woke from right. Harper Collins soon, uh, which I guess they're still going to publish. Yeah, and which for for people who don't know, that's that's Rupert Murdoch's yeah. like book imprint. So yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's basically um, Fox 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 News books almost. And this amazing article by Christopher Matthias comes out mm-hmm. in Huffington Post. Now, yeah. before this came out, did you suspect anything about this, or was it just out of the blue to you? The fact that he was Richard Host, or the, the fact that he had written for you know Richard Spencer's magazines and all these other things, that was that that came out of the blue. I didn't know enough about the guy to have like looked into you know what he was doing, uh, or you know, or or or, or figured out you know um, what he was doing under under an assumed name. When I read it, like I was not. It didn't take me any any time to be like, well, of course, <laughs> like of course, um, because you know as he. You know, I, I think uh, John Gans, the 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 uh, my friend and, and the writer, um, I think, you know, the way he's put it is that, you know, he's been posting Stormfront on Maine, you know, for years. Like, it's not it's not surprising. But, you know, the fact that he was like actively writing for real, like real extreme, um, you know, racist publications, um, I wouldn't have even known where to look for that so props to props to chris for for uncovering that. yeah i want i want you to lay out the basics of it but I, I, for the audience mm-hmm. yeah so under his under his fake name richard host he was writing for occidental observer um counter currents and alternative write.com but actually those first two occidental observer and counter currents those are like literally like pro hitler yes yeah publication yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah and the things that he was writing in it in those places were genocidal flat out he was saying that anyone who is um as he calls it of a low iq first of all first of all he is obsessed and he is still obsessed with this with race and intelligence right that is his big that's his big thing He's a eugenicist. His whole thing is that intelligence is hereditary, that it is racial, um, and that you can sort of make meaningful differences between races based on their IQ scores. Um, he's obsessed with this. And as Richard Hanania, he, he's obsessed with this. As Richard Host, 10 years ago, 
he was saying that on that basis, that everybody who has what he considers a low IQ should be forcibly sterilized. So genocide. I mean, basically prevent, prevent them from ever having children and wipe, wipe out, wipe them out over the course of a generation. And, and also he wrote, he said in a 2010 countercurrents article, he said, the ultimate goal should be to get all the post 1965. Oh, I guess this is the important thing for him. Non-white migrants from right. Latin America yes. leave. Yes. Okay, so his parents are in the clear, I guess. Well, because it is. I mean, okay. it's interesting. It's it is without trying to disentangle, like like there's there's some fascinating psychological and Freudian stuff going on with this guy, um, but he clearly, you know, he he is. Look at if you look at a picture of him, he just looks like a like a white dude, like I do, right? He's you know, he, he presents as white. He, like I said, he grew up in, in, in the South suburbs of Chicago and a lot of what he writes, even as Hanania. And then, and then also as, as Host and before this, it is, it very clearly comes out of a very Chicago and, and, and even more specifically like suburb white suburban Chicago experience, right? Where Chicago is this, uh, extremely violent place that is that is overrun by black people who are just in gangs and they are and is and 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 murderous and and out of control and uh it, he lived he also you know went to the university of chicago so he lived in hyde park on, on the south side i lived in chicago for for many years as well i went to I- to university there as well it's so interesting yeah his brother got arrested for like throwing cats off of parking garages in uh, orland park i believe but it's it's very interesting as somebody from chicagoland nick fuentes the gen z nazi is from lagrange park which is a southwest side suburbs but there were like chicago january 6th people arrested and a lot of them were from specifically like the southwest suburbs yeah and i think i think he's specifically from oak lawn yeah uh, oak lawn. yeah yeah, yeah. I, not Oakland park my, my yeah. mistake yeah and well, but I, don't, I don't know where, where francis is from but it's interesting right when, because you know yeah. he's from about the same area yeah, yeah it's interesting and and not not you know i mean sort of in the general direction of of you know the i mean i guess cicero i guess that's where yeah. you know martin luther king got got hit with a brick um uh, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it is a very, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very Chicago thing. And he writes a lot about, he, he, one of the things that I, that, that I noted in, in my first piece about him on, on my Substack on, on the racket, um, was that, um, you know, he talks about, I, I think like how, how black people had like ethnically cleansed <laughs> Chicago. Um, it's really like, it's people really, get, people really lose it. I mean, this is a national thing as well about Chicago. I mean, people really lose it when talking about Chicago. It's really interesting. We could do probably a whole episode trying to like unpack yeah, the psychology yeah. about like that specific it, it, thing. And yeah, I mean, it's probably well known, but in case any listeners don't know, mm-hmm. Chicago is sort of a tale of two cities in a way. The, the south side of Chicago and the north side, it's very segregated. Right. And so the south side of Chicago is is very african-american and i do think that 
you do notice a, a stark difference between the whites from the southwest suburbs right and the whites from like the northern suburbs right it, it they're more liberal on the north side so yeah it, sorry just some no they, yeah i mean and and i mean without going too deep into it like chicago is a big hub of the great migration right so as black people are fleeing terror um and and racism um in the deep south one of the major places they go is chicago and chicago is like also this you know to use the 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 cliche it's you know it's a melting pot there's 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 all these different immigrant groups from all over the world um especially poland and ireland and italy um a lot of Jews um, uh, who are all, you know, sort of mixed in here. And then, you know, black people come up from into that. And, and, you know, uh, this is, you know, among other things where, where the blues comes from, right. Cause like, that's why Chicago is like the home of the blues. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, people's ideas about Chicago are basically, it's be, it's because you know the the people who were fleeing Jim Crow, um, they they encounter uh, uh, these other white people, and these other white people start kind of it's it, it uh, they 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 create sort of an alternative to to Jim Crow, and Chicago is like a real experimental place for um, housing discrimination, um, you know, redlining. Um, you know, aggressive policing. Um, it's not, you know, again, it's not alone in that. Like a lot of American cities are like that, but because Chicago is such a big city um, and in a lot of ways, you know, because it's, it's like the big city in the middle of the country, like it's, it's in a lot of ways for a lot of its history, it's kind of been like the great American city where like New York is like more of like an international city. Um, and so, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of freight <laughs> in Chicago. It's not, it's not an accident that people, you know, when people talk about, um, you know, black on black crime or, you know, black criminality in general, um, that they are often obsessed with Chicago. And yeah, as the, you said, just yeah. like Vivek Ramaswamy, they'll sort of use Chicago just as right. a euphemism for black for black people. Even though, uh, even though, yeah. even though by the numbers, like it's it's often. I mean, there's crime and there's, I, 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 I reported on, on, uh, you know, I covered murder trials. I, I went to journalism school at Northwestern and I, I, I covered, you know, uh, murder trials at, at 26 in California, the Cook County uh, court, court and jail. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I knew some gang members and like, I, like, I, I'm, I'm aware that these things happen and that they're real. There are, da there are dangerous parts of, of Chicago, um, mostly dangerous for the people who live in them. Um, but, uh, but, you know, Chicago's the the sort of the threat that Chicago uh, 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 embodies in the minds of a lot of people is like way out of proportion, like, to put it mildly. It is interesting. Richard Spencer and Hanania, both University of Chicago alums, Hyde Park is it's one of the most segregated. I mean, it's right. It's basically like this super elite, um, very Asian and white university surrounded by some of the like poorest mostly african-american neighborhoods in the country so it, it it's interesting i wonder if they had gone to like school in ann arbor or if if or eugene oregon if if it would have been the same i would that's interesting. yeah because like because because yeah. 
like what these places have in common. Evanston is similar in a way. Um, but uh, what 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 in particular Hyde Park and Oak Lawn have in common is they are places that are sort of surrounded by or adjacent to the the quote unquote bad parts of Chicago. So they're places that they're places where sort of, you know, the, the, the black neighborhoods, the ghetto of Chicago exists as like a place of imagination. That's that you're not really in it. You're just beyond it. And you're imagining the horrors that you're imagining, you know, are, are happening there. And it's, a, it's really a place where, where, you know, uh, a, a young, you know, a young, uh, you know, somewhat troubled person whose brother is, you know, chucking cats off of garage rooms. I can't believe that, you know, and, and has his own sort of, you know, interesting, uh, you know, intersectional um, uh, relationship with his own whiteness as, you know, the, the, the child of, of Arab immigrants, you know, during like the nineties the, the and, and during the, you know, ultimately during the, the nine 11 uh, and Iraq war era, like, you know, it's it is it is very easy to imagine sort of the 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 fever dreams that don't inevitably come. Plenty of people have had, plenty of people have a biological pro, uh, 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 you know, uh, bio, uh, bio, what am I talking about? Biographical, <laughs> Jesus, the, the anemia eugenics is like infecting my brain. Um, a biographical uh, profile. Um, that that looks a lot like his, um, and did not end up uh, becoming, you know, just like a virulent, you know, <laughs> anti-black racist. Uh, but it is easy to un- it is easy to imagine the ways in which that could get you know, did, cooked up. You know, it's interesting. Have you how much have you looked into his old Richard Host articles? Because it, did was he writing like? I know he wrote anti-Semitic stuff, but it seems like like what you're saying. He was mostly focused on like this anti-black stuff and this uh, IQ stuff. But he is writing for these super Nazi websites like Occidental Observer and Countercurrents. Yeah. Was he was he writing like about Jews, too? Or I think so. Let me see if if in the. uh he does bring it up like he clearly doesn't it's 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 funny he's like he doesn't uh not that it matters but it's just it's always an indis- indication when people are really really into nazi stuff like he doesn't believe jews are white right which is whatever i mean it doesn't but but it usually i find the most extreme anti-semites real strongly believe that you know? well, he he writes in in um in the Occidental Observer. This is in in uh, Matthias's piece, um, but he writes about uh, you know uh, this piece about Sarah Palin that he calls White Goddess, um, and he says you know it has been suggested that Sarah Palin is sort of a Rorschach test for Americans. The attractive, religious, and fertile white woman drove the ugly, ugly secular, and barren white self-hating and Jewish elite absolutely mad well before there are any questions about her qualifications. Um, by the way, I don't ever remember a time that there were no questions about surveillance qualifications, but that's, that's neither here nor there, but like that, that, that is like, that's just pure Nazi shit, right? It's just like, it's, it's not just, it's not just, you know, uh, about Jews, but it's about the, the, you know, fertile white people versus like the ugly secular, um, and barren Jewish elite. And also the, 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 the white self-hating elite, which is also, that's also a Nazi 
a thing. So, um, so yeah. So, and he's still obsessed with juice. He's still, if, if like on his Twitter feed, like he, he is, he's constantly posting um, about uh, how um, uh, disgusted he is at what he sees as excessive philosemitism um, on the right. And he writes about, you know, how the, you know, uh, he, he, he talks about, you know, like a sad story of like an unrequited love affair or something like that between the American right and Jews. Um, he thinks that basically Jews are are using the, the right um, and, and hoodwinking the right um, to then, uh, you know, enact our whatever he thinks we're doing. I don't know. Um, well, I, I, I think you, you've described it really well, but yeah, his thing. And so he. he He's got this, you know, impressive academic background. And um, I think he, he he wrote some stuff on Afghanistan. And it's like, I I, I agree. Afghanistan was absurd. And so it's like, oh, yeah. I think that got him in the Washington Post. And then his niche became or is sort of being like on the right, but willing to say, oh, you know, the New York Times actually is more trustworthy than uh, Breitbart. Right. Right. <laughs> and exactly. they're like, look at this moderate centrist. This exactly. guy's amazing. Exactly. 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 That's his that's his his game. It's an old game. I mean, it's it is, you know, sort of generally speaking, um, you know, people on the right, paleoconservatives, um, and you know, the, the sort of the, the libertarian milieu that that honestly a lot of like, you know, um fascists and, and right-wing extremists somewhat paradoxically when you think about libertarianism or at least liber as libertarianism uh, uh, advertises itself but they come out of that you know firmament Christopher um, Cantwell exactly he's actually the very he was I was thinking about him specifically <laughs> as I was saying that um um and also Richard Spencer right they like he, they they, they he was you know the American conservative yeah. exactly exactly so you know they've known for a long time because, you know, you know, partisanship, the study of partisanship um, in, in America, you know, we, we often oversimplify, you know, we have a two party system and you've got Democrats and Republicans and we, we, we oversimplify, you know, what the positions are on, on, you know, both sides of that divide. Um, and so for years when, and still to some extent in, in, in the Republican mainstream, you know, um, you had, you know, the, the main Republican party line was war, right? They loved war. Um, they, they wanted to invade Afghanistan after 9-11 and did. They wanted to invade Iraq and did. Um, they were hoping to, you know, bring it to Syria um, very explicitly um, and just sort of, you know, Iran and just sort of, you know, bring the forever war everywhere. And then you had this, you know, paleoconservative group, um, as they called themselves, uh, originally, um, I think, uh, pejoratively, and then they kind of adopted it for themselves to some extent, um, you know, kind of the Pat Buchanan right um, that had always and and to some extent, you know, Ron Paul, I mean, Ron Paul was definitely anti-war, but to some extent, Ron Paul, I think, is a, a paleoconservative as well. Like, you know, they they were critics of that. And since war was the big project of the Republican Party, you know, throughout especially the Bush years um, being like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative 
But I think that, you know, the Iraq war was bad. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't have so many foreign wars. Um, that could get you a lot of cred among, you know, moderates and liberals um, and even leftists as being like, oh, you're idiosyncratic. Like you're, you know, you're not just, you're not being doctrinaire. You're not following the party line. Like you're thinking for yourself. And that's, it's very important you bring that up. And I want to touch on this later, which is mm -hmm. this generational question. But I remember the birth of the alt-right. I remember alternativeright.com. Like, I remember the the first time sort of Spencer came on the scene, you know, before we all knew the guy was a Nazi. Right. And it was, they did just cast themselves as, we're, we don't like Bush. Right. We don't like Bush. It wasn't like, and, and we'll get into it later, the, the way the alt-right uh, evolved, because I want to get into Hockman stuff. But, um, yeah. so- he, I knew Hanania was set up for life when I saw that he was doing uh, like these two hour podcasts with Conehead, mm -hmm. uh, also known as uh, Mark Andreessen, who is, <laughs> is he the, I call him Conehead. <laughs> That's very funny. Sorry. Uh, and he is, he's the founder of Netscape. He, is he like, he's super rich. Um Yeah. He is like one of the most powerful VCs, uh, people in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, and and he uses and uses and, and is also like very ideological. He I think he, he poses as being you know non-ideological. Um, but everywhere he goes, it's it's sort of, you know, always the same thing. Anti-woke, you know, free speech in the way that only you know the far right talks about Jonathan, free speech. Jonathan, I cannot tell you the number of times I've I've looked at the profiles of small nazi accounts on twitter like with like a thousand followers yeah and every time it says followed by mark andrews yeah have you seen that uh he blocked me years ago so oh okay he follows so <laughs> many nazi accounts yeah. it's it's wild so anyways it, 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 I, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me and he's and he's and he's a big he's a big backer of he he came in in the time since i i started at substack i started with my substack in 2019, it was after that that Andreessen came in during a VC round, and that was really when I think you know Substack started taking its its big, its big you know right word turn. Yeah. So when I saw Haninia with Andreessen, I knew this guy was made for life. Yeah. And he is really close. With let me back up and say this: there's so many terrible things about Musk owning Twitter, but the the one of the few upsides is that this myth of the super liberal Silicon Valley mm -hmm. is slowly dying or yeah. we're at least like, okay, the workers, the coders were, they might be more liberal, but the, the, the guys at the top. Yeah. These people aren't just right wing. They're, they're extremely, and it's very interesting. Peter Thiel has gotten so much bad press over the years. Right. Yeah. But Andreessen, who follows all these Nazi accounts, hasn't. Uh, yeah. And Musk is part of that. And so it is it is astounding. The, the, one of the ways that I, I started really encountering it was during Clubhouse. Remember that brief moment? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there were, there were all these like rooms on Clubhouse that were just eugenics. It was just straight up just eugenics in a way that like i knew look look i knew that there were i knew there were anti-semites i knew there were like 
racist. I knew there were people in the world who, who thought these things, but like they was out there and they were just talking and, and, um, and these rooms were very popular. And then I would see people who are in these rooms, like, you know, pop up in other places for a while. Um, I'm totally blanking on her last name. Her first name is Lulu. Um, she was, she was hired by Substack when Andreessen came in with his, his funding round um, as um, like the spokeswoman. And she was somebody who was just constantly in these like eugenicist rooms on Clubhouse. And I think that like one of the things that's really telling to me is that, you know, uh, you know, Hamish McKenzie and Chris Best, who's the CEO of, of Substack, that they would look at a guy, uh, Hanania, who is still out there under his own name, like his whole thing is race and IQ, race and IQ, race and IQ, um, and, you know, sort of like inherent criminality. And and that that this wouldn't just like ring an alarm bell for them, um, that, that it would be like, oh, that this could be like an like a, like a good faith, um, uh, you know, honest dealer uh, who, who could be an interesting person to talk to. Um, that just says a lot about the culture of Silicon Valley that like that, 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 that stuff is just out there and it is just so normal and it is so like almost like taken for granted by a lot of people that like, of course you would think that, of course, that's the thing that, that, that normal, you know, people would think. Um, and just to me, you know, as somebody who doesn't come from, from that world at all, Silicon Valley world at all, I was like, so it was really eye opening to, to, to realize how, how, how much in conversation. So so idea. you did some of the the groundbreaking uh, reporting on Hinenia. Yeah. So who are his backers? Because some of them have surprising background. Yes. So the uh, so one of the big ones that I found, um, and and because he, he actually contributed to the the NGO, the the five hundred one c three under his name, is Andrew Conroe, who is uh, best known as the creator of AdultFriendFinder.com. He created originally the original friend finder. It was kind of like in a lot of ways, like the original social network. Um, but he found very quickly um, that uh, using this as basically a, a place to, you know, sell porn and, you know, hook up escorts with, with clients um, was much more lucrative. I think he ended up selling friend finder networks to penthouse for like half a billion dollars in, in the mid aughts. And uh, he has something, that he, you know, the, the Conru foundation, he, he wrote a check to, to Hanania's thing for for 200 grand um he also got fifty thousand dollars from the mercatus center um which is the right-wing libertarian think tank at george mason um you know that's backed by the cokes but it's you know the Koch brothers um but also other um you know prominent donors and they employed tyler cowan yeah and uh, brian kaplan or, yeah who are exactly. two of uh in any is uh exactly libertarian buddies yeah and um, you know, those two, those two uh, uh, combined for about, you know, um, uh, a quarter of a, a billion dollars, but um, excuse me, not a billion, quarter of a million dollars, uh, two, uh, 250,000. But the bulk of the money, the biggest things, um, I don't know who's behind them because he, he got them from donors uh, who are hiding behind what are known as donor ad advised funds, uh, specifically a Fidelity Fund and a, and a Schwab Fund. And those are often used 
um, to fund things that um, the donor doesn't want publicly known that they're being associated with. So that it is often a way of funding hate groups and and you know racist activities in general. And the IRS you know talks about this, and but they 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 know um, they 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 have a note on their website. Um, that says that they're aware of, of organizations that have, quote, abused the basic concepts under underlying donor advised funds. The idea is basically that the money goes to the bank, um, but the, the donor can advise the bank <laughs> on how to donate. <laughs> so the only thing that the only thing that appears on on any kind of you know publicly searchable tax document is that fidelity, you know, wrote a check to Hanania, yeah. but it wasn't Fidelity's money. It was right. somebody else's money. But, you know, a, a, a educated guess would be possibly Peter Thiel. Um, or Andreessen. Or Andreessen. Also, uh, he was yeah. at University of Texas at a, a center there that, right, got Harlan Crow, the, the... That's right. Clarence Thomas's good buddy. Yes, and one of the one of the interesting things is um, there were two only two places that I'm aware of that in any way distanced themselves from Hanania when his previous genocidal writings were were surfaced and unmasked. One of them, the one that did so publicly, was the University of Austin. Barry Weiss. Barry 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 U, um, which is very funny. <laughs> Like just on many levels that like he was, he was there lecturing in what they called the forbidden courses. Um, I just love that. Like even Barry White, of course, not even Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss has always been, she, she, she has never been a free speech absolutist by any stretch of the imagination. She, you know, her, her, her first, you know, public thing was as a, as an undergrad at Columbia trying to get um, professors fired for, for criticizing Israel, but that, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, free speech absolutist state university um that that was the first to distance it's not even a real university so is he going to lecture at stanford or um he has i don't know i don't know yet i i i I don't i haven't heard that they canceled that but the thing that i was going to say that's interesting is that it was the university of austin uh publicly distanced themselves from him they're like we didn't know about his racist writings and if we had we wouldn't have invited him and the Salem Center at the University of Texas at Austin was quieter, but they um, dropped him from their website. And he kind of seems to have um, confirmed on his social media feed um, that, you know, he says that his fellowship was scheduled to end there anyway. Who knows? The interesting thing about that is that both the real University of Texas at Austin Center and the fake <laughs> University of Austin both have Harlan Crow as a major donor. Um, the, the Forbidden Courses uh, series that he that he lectured at is hosted at um, one of Harlan Crow's properties. Actually, the old Parkland Hospital where where JFK died after the assassination right, in Dallas. Right. Um, um, so it's it is interesting that the that the two um, that that distance themselves from him um, are both Harlan Crow connected. Possibly coincidence, possibly not, but that's notable. So, um, but yeah, as as you said, he he had recently given a speech at the Yale Federal Society. Um, he was scheduled at least uh, in October to speak at Stanford Business School, um, and as far as I know, that's still on. But I haven't I haven't checked. So, 
this comes out that he's written for all these Nazi websites mm-hmm. and he wanted to like sterilize people he thought were low IQ and all this stuff. Um, and he's and he says, you know, I, I, I've completely changed. And uh, anyway, so I read his so- so-called apology. And it was like one or two sentences that were sort of like, I'm kind of sorry, maybe. And then the rest of it is just attacking the journalist, uh, like Christopher Matthias. For well, he calls him an he ta- calls him an Antifa journalist. Right? Yeah, and so it's interesting. I keep tabs on the right a lot by podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. So I was I remember before this had all come out, I was in Wyoming up high in the mountains, and I was listening to the uh, Richard Hennenia's podcast he does with this woman Inez Stepman. Oh yeah, called Clown Car. Right. This is like, you know, three weeks before he's going to get exposed as writing for all these Nazi websites. And what is he yammering on and on about how we have to get rid of the Civil Rights Act? Right. But he's casting it all. And it's just a libertarian thing. Right. No, it's just a libertarian thing. It's, you know, and I'm sure. And he was like, you know, I'm sure the market will make sure there's no like bigotry and stuff. And then you let the markets, let, let freedom go and let the markets do what they want. Like, we don't know that, like, you could have maintained segregation. Like, we, we don't know that black people wouldn't have had on the highway because we never tried the freedom. We had Jim Crow and then we had uh, anti-discrimination laws. We had no, like, period with which to even test the proposition um, that markets can actually work. And I think that they, I think that there's a lot of historical evidence that, like, when groups are discriminated against, unless you have, like, unless you actually force them apart, you know, people, people chase profits. All the white Southerners, 100% of the white Southerners can be racist. Nothing is stopping black people from opening hotels. Nothing is stopping immigrants from opening hotels. Nothing is stopping uh, uh, white Northerners from coming in and opening hotels. And then he gets revealed as this. So I listened after he was exposed. I listened to his uh, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, and in the beginning, it's, it was the same thing. He does like one sentence of like, I don't believe some of that stuff. And then the rest of it is totally attacking the left for not being racist. And then him and Stepman start talking about how they have hope for the future. Right. Um, and the ho- what is giving them hope, it's not like kids uh, volunteering at the local homeless shelter. Right. It's that Paul, the congressman Gosar of Arizona, is doing fundraisers and hanging out with the Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. Right. And he hasn't um, denounced him. Until recently, I'm wondering if you think that that actually is changing because it seems like Peter, I don't think, is, is like blackballed from the right. You, I don't think, are going to be blackballed from the right. Nate, I don't think it's going to be blackballed from, from the right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazier than that. Nate Fu- Nick Fuentes is hanging out with like congressmen. I mean, you see, like, Paul Gosar was, like, speaking at, like, Nick Fuentes' uh, event or something like that. And I, as far as I know, these congressmen don't denounce them. So I think, I think we really are in a new world. I think the polarization is such that, like, something like Huffington Post has no, uh, you know, has no sort of, you know, credibility to be telling people how they should think about different issues to the right. So, yeah. Right. This gives them hope for the future. What, so- what Hanania what said in his non-apology he said quote the reason i'm the target of a cancellation effort is because left-wing journalists dislike anyone acknowledging statistical differences between races 
My mistake in a previous life was assigning collective guilt based on certain undeniable facts. And like what he's clearly saying there, I mean, he's saying it blatantly that his problem was not that he was racist because he's still racist. He's saying, I am still racist. I still think that the, uh, the undeniable fact underpinning society are quote statistical differences between races. What he's what he res, what he regrets um, is uh, uh, that he was you know prescribing genocide before, and now and he quotes I think it's Brian Kaplan or he, he cites Brian Kaplan as being the person who who inspired this thought um, that it's worth basically keeping some non-white people around. <laughs> He says, you know, it, you know, quote, even if if groups differ in skills or cognitive abilities, we can all still benefit from the division of labor, which is literally that is literally the justification for slavery in the mid 19th century in the United States. Yeah. And the co-host Stepman says in the beginning, well, you haven't really changed your views. You just I forget what she says. She's like, you've just m- moderated them. We'll get to the apology part in a minute. But I want to ask, because even in your apology, right, you don't denounce you don't completely denounce some of the views that you hold you're just you're more moderated about them now you're more circumspect and more mature about them um and you're not as radical but it they literally just say that like i have all the same views as i did when i was writing for like the pro hitler site right i just have moderated them he now Um, now because now now instead of now instead of calling for genocide outright now he's calling for essentially neo-segregation like he's basically saying, like, let's roll back the Civil Rights Act. Um, let's let's gut it. And, and this was um, this is another thing that, that um, Vox did reporting on this. And it's 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 very much um, uh, uh, pertinent right now that uh, Viv- uh, Vivek um, uh, Ramaswamy, the new, you know, Republican uh, presidential candidate flavor of the week, he um, he wrote his book woke incorporated in which he was calling for basically using civil rights law to protect racism right he's basically like he was basically saying like we should put into jurisprudence or into the civil rights act um, protection for political speech um which would basically say that you know uh the the protection that is 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 given to people who are the victims of racism should also be given to racists and hanania was the one he wrote a review of of Ramaswamy's book, and he was like, "This guy doesn't get it. <laughs> he's totally wrong because the prop you can't use." Uh, he's basically making like kind of like like, like a racist Audre Lord kind of of you know you can't uh, um, you can't dismantle the, the the master's house using the master's tools. Basically, like you can't you can't dismantle the the anti racist house re- using anti racist tools. He's basically saying like you have to end. Um, this legal regime of 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 civil rights um, in order to because it, it is that and that's the, the argument that he's going to be making um, in his book uh, that that comes out you know in in I guess a couple of weeks um, that that got effusive blurbs from Peter Thiel and Ramaswamy and uh, you know David Sachs and all these other guys and JD um, Vance the Ohio Senator's big fan too. JD Vance who's a friend of of uh, of Ramaswamy's Peter, from and from, Peter Thiel yeah. 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 Um, all these guys, you know, Peter Thiel, uh, you know, took Ramaswamy and, and Vance out to um, uh, to lunch uh, when they were both students at, at Yale oh. Law. Like, they're oh, all, yeah. They're and all when, yeah. And when this all got revealed, uh, 
uh, Elon Musk uh, became a paid subscriber to to Hennenia. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, uh, uh, another one of his, his paid subscribers is Steven Pinker. Um, he was a big fan of his. The thing that the thing that's interesting, I remember if it was, if it was you or somebody pointed this out to me because um, I'm not a big reader of, of Countercurrents magazine ordinarily. Um, but Greg Johnson, um, who is is the, the you know the white the white nationalist um, uh, editor of that magazine, um, he wrote a piece about the unmasking of Hanania as Richard Host. Um, and he's basically saying that, you know, he, that he, he had published Tanania at Countercurrents, um, but under the pseudonym and that one, and that, you know, he writes about how, um, you know, he, uh, he thought that, you know, Hanania, you know, uh, had some good ideas, but that, you know, that he was a libertarian who occasionally hinted at race realism was the way he put it. Right. But that he never went far enough down the road of, of, of overt fascism. Um, and, uh, Johnson writes, I think one of the most telling things that I've read about this entire episode, um, he says that on, you know, he, he, once he has realized that Hanania is host, um, he says, quote, the most charitable interpretation of Richard Hanania's career trajectory is that he remained race wise and Jew wise, but edged up to the mainstream to inject good ideas and shift the Overton window. And then he says, you know, he was wildly successful. Um, and, you know, I, I, that is that is very clearly what Hanania is, is doing. I mean, again, he is not concealing this at all. He, he says overtly that we need, you know, more, um, uh, you know, policing incarceration and surveillance of black people. When... Um, uh, when Alvin Bragg, who's the 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 uh, DA of, of Manhattan, um, and is himself black, um, when he indicted uh, Daniel Penny um, for you know strangling um, a, a black subway rider to death um, uh, on 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 the F train in New York, um, Hanania tweeted, "This was like in March. You know, they're they're all they're all animals." Uh, whether they're walking around in, in suits or riding subway cars. I mean, like, it's easy. Uh, sounds like a respectable, centrist, <laughs> really important thinker to me. I mean, right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. He's, I, like, it's, it's all out there. Like, you, you, have, you have to be... It, it requires both... It's, it's really interesting. It requires both... To, to, it's hard to look at this and not see a... a a significant amount of willful blindness um, in people like, you know, Matt Iglesias and, uh, you know, the editors of the New York Times who, who are, and the Washington Post who are publishing Hanania. Ross Duthat, um, uh, I always screw up the pronunciation of, of his name, speaking of, of names, get screwed up. But like he recommend, he recommended Hanania's writing like nine different times in his columns and, and, um, and newsletters. Like, to a certain extent, maybe they're just not seeing this stuff. To a certain extent, maybe you know this kind of is is, is what I was talking about with like you know uh, McKenzie and 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 Best at, at Substack. Maybe they're just like so surrounded by this just like overt like nineteenth century style like race science um, that that they don't even think it's weird anymore, um, or maybe they just agree with it entirely. But it is it is it's wild to me that you can um it's wild to me that anybody could have read 
uh, anything that Hanania has been writing in public, um, you know, for for all these years, and been like, well, I don't agree with him about everything, but he's got some, he's got I, some. I there's another uh, person that the New York Times, another young conservative, yep, that the New York Times published multiple times, yeah, named Nate Hockman, yeah. Um, and he made a, a Nazi video for the DeSantis campaign, right? In public, in a way, like he didn't even do it on a fake name. He was openly making it with these other DeSantis campaign people, right? I like so, for instance, the Know My Enem- Enemy podcast. Um, yeah, Sam Alderbell and uh, Matthew Sidman. I like yeah. what they do. I'm a yeah. big fan. Me too. But I think I, I'm a pay, I'm a paid subscriber to know. Yeah, I, but the last episode, they said uh, Nate Hockman, Rod Dreher tweeted out uh, that Nate Hockman said, I had no idea what the black sun was. And he had these uh, troops marching into a black, a spinning black sun superimposed over DeSantis's face in this fascist video. And he says, I, I had no idea what that was. I had no idea that that was a fascist symbol. Now, the know my enemy guys, they apparently believe that. I mean, <laughs> what, what's your take? Um, so first of all, about about the video um, that that he made, um, you know, with the, the headline and it's a fine headline is that it included, you know, a sonoran, uh, um, um, you know, a neo-Nazi black sun symbol um uh and as you note like you know it's used in this tableau of literally like soldiers marching toward um the florida flag which is is it's um it's a saint andrew's cross so it's a big red x um which also you know invokes the the confederate flag and then you know desantis um you know in front of it with the with the with the 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 Nazi black sun in the background, so even right there, like not particularly subtle, right? But beyond that, and I didn't even know this the first time I wrote about it. I ended up doing a, a follow up newsletter about it. The whole thing is patterned, shot for shot, beat for beat, on a neo Nazi uh, video format. Um, it is it is a you know the 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 video is of it's it's a it's a doomer wojack right so a you know kind of a cruelly drawn cartoon every man who who represents the viewer um that like the young male gamer type viewer um who is uh watching um sort of a succession of things that disappoint him um and it is always you know headlines about diversity um and um uh sort of in in like the in 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 the nazi versions which which are out there you can find them um it's often like um you know a uh like a like a a a, a, like the british you know uh national mint you know releasing a coin with the black face on it or like um you know u.s soldiers marching holding like a pride flag or something like that in the hawkman video um, cause it's a campaign ad. What he's doing is he's showing that the, the Doomer Wojak is depressed, um, because he's watching Donald Trump betray the things that far right people wanted him to do. Right. So it's like 
you know, no, no new sections of wall were built by Trump um, during his presidency. And, you know, Trump, I don't know, did something that helped black people. It's, it's, it's just stuff like that. Right. And then in the video, this is like, this is like the, the meme format. Um, uh, and the music, by the way, is it's a, it's a running cover cover running up that hill. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it, like in, in the, it, like, like I have, I have seen a, a, a Nazi version of this uses the same version of the same song, same, same spot in the music, the uh, screen fades to black, a kind of a, a, a backlit door opens and a silhouetted figure comes out. And in the Nazi versions, um, you know, it's sort of like a Chad. It's just like a, like a muscle bound white guy um i don't know maybe somebody who knows more about this kind of piece of, of esoteric uh, nazi whatever uh might even recognize who, who the guy is but as far as i can tell it's just sort of a chad in the hockman version it's desantis and the the this this sort of messianic white figure then takes the doomer wojak to essentially nazi heaven Nazi utopia. And in the in the Nazi version, it's these very, you know, very specific Nazi memes of um, you know, these sort of uh, mythological um, you know, Nordic ancient Greek, you know, hanging gardens of Babylon type you know, uh, uh places uh with like the maps of like, you know, the, the this kind of you know, very Nazi like fantasy. Um and in the Hawkman version um, DeSantis takes the the Doomer Wojak to Florida, <laughs> which is that you know it's is his utopia. Um, uh, to to say this is not an accident. You can't this you can't do this accidentally. I'm sorry. Like, sir, sir, he was trying to celebrate <laughs> Latino heritage, and he had no. He thought it was an Aztec symbol. It is. He, he was. He had no. Even though he was admitted uh, Nick Fuentes fan, it is so. impossible. It is. I, I know you're joking. I just like. I just really have to underline this. Like, you cannot. This is. This is not like. Oops! I tripped. Tripped and fell on my dick. Like this is like. He had to. Whoever made this video, and, and Axios reported that that Hawkman uh, either made it or, or, or played a role in making it. Um. Uh had to have been just imbibing these this very very particular format of nazi video by the way in one of the nazi videos that i watched it doesn't even end on a um on a nazi symbol hockman was like or whoever made it hockman was like in case anybody doesn't get this because they're not like you know, uh, frequenting the same image boards that I am, I'm going to end this with <laughs> a spinning Nazi, glowing Nazi symbol, um, just in case, in, in case uh, my message is too subtle. And it's important to point out, this is not, look, who hasn't had one Nazi scandal? Okay, we've all had one. This is his second. Right. His first one was praising the the what i just call him the pro-hitler cult leader nick Fuentes, who dreams his life goal is like leading pogroms um he you know praising him so we know he was a nick Fuentes fan 
Yeah. So it's just like, ask the Nick Fuentes fans. Do they know what a Black Sun is? They right. do. Right. Of they course they do. They all know what it is. Of course they do. Um, and a lot of people on the right do. And this is one of the things is that like these people, they're all hanging out in the same places. They're all hanging out on the same message boards. And some of them think, you know, look, I, like, you know, I have absolutely no doubt that a significant number of Nazis think that, um, you know, Nate Hockman is a cuck, right? That he's that he doesn't go nearly far enough. Um, he's, you know, he's a sellout, whatever. But they're all in conversation with one another. So that so this is the prism that I saw the Haninia expose from. Right. Because my so my focus is on the Gen Z right, because I think people just don't get how Nazi it is. Like yeah. they have no idea how bad it is. So I looked at the Hanania situation. I was thinking of the Hockman situation. Right. Well, Hanania is a millennial. Right. Okay. So he wrote all this under a fake name, right? So there's sort of some shame, right? Right. And uh Hockman publicly was making this with his work colleagues at the DeSantis uh, campaign. The group chats came out. They were all one of the people, Kyle Lamb said, uh, one of the people in the DeSantis campaign said this should be in the Smithsonian. Right. So he's publicly doing it. And so this is being this is being is being it's being shared on uh, a chat uh, yeah. thread overseen by Christina yeah. Pushaw, who's yeah. who's who's one of, of DeSantis's chief spokeswoman. Right. Yeah. And, and so he's publicly making this. So it, to me, that just that I, I saw that generational angle of millennial. They still are like trying to hide it. The Gen Z are just so much more extreme. But for listeners, I want to put this in context. I think this all happened during the summer. Okay. Hunter yeah. Walker, the reporter revealed that Paul Gosar, the Arizona Republican congressman, has two neo-Nazi cult members on his staff. Yeah. One of them is literally given an oath to this Holocaust denier, Nick Fuentes, to quote, where they have to raise up the right hand and, and pledge to uh rape murder and kill for nicholas j Fuentes. okay jesus Christ. hasn't yeah. been fired i don't think republicans have spoken out they're still there one of them's names is wade searle um that's one pedro gonzalez this yeah. big uh guy is on tucker and very hooked into the conservative world also worked for desantis revealed to be this giant anti-semite in these uh, private text messages, like to the degree he's like, no, Nancy Pelosi, she's a Jew, you know, right. like and posting right. like insane anti-Semitic cartoons and all this stuff. Then you have Hawkman, the, the 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 Nazi ad is exposed. And, and, and by the way, you 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 brought up um, Paul Gozar. Gozar shared on his Twitter feed another yeah. version of the same meme video yeah. that Hawkman shared except the instead of the chat or DeSantis coming through the door it was Gozar and that 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 got taken down after a couple of days but it's still it's still out there if, if you look on you know um internet archive um so, so, so but but what I'm trying to say is this is this is a, a a trend but so I've heard somebody told me he, he estimated 50 percent of the Gen Z 
Republican congressional staffers were like Groypers, which is basically just a new version of Nazis. Yeah. What would you guess that number is? I don't know. I, I, I mean, I can't guess on the, the number, but it doesn't surprise me. I mean, there's a couple of different aspects of it. I mean, shitposting and just like being a, a, a general asshole online and, you know, going for ever more extreme online personas and imagery. Look, social media rewards that. Um, it's a way to stand out. I'm not drawing a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to draw a, a false equivalency here because I don't think they're the same at all. But, you know, like on TikTok, you know, the, the number of, of, you know, Zoomer leftists who, you know, ironically or unironically share, you know, memes of like Lenin, you know, um, uh, you know, with his eyes glowing or, um, or th there was a, there was like an AI uh, TikTok filter where, where people were posing as like Soviet propaganda posters. Um, you know, for, I was, I was born in, 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 uh, 1980 you know for for me um you know it it was it was uh uh you were really putting yourself out there you know in the 90s or in the aughts when i was the age that these kids are now um to be like you know i'm a communist um there were there were certainly people who were but like it was it was like it was a big statement um, and you know, now it's, it's, it's a more common and there are other, there are other non-political things as well, where it's just like the heart, you know, a lot of fandoms, right. You know, the, the, you know, you could be a Swifty, but you could also, you should be like a super Swifty. You could be like it did BTS, but like, you gotta be like going after and destroying all the enemies of, of, of BTS and that kind of attitude. Like it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me in a way that, um, you know, uh, these tendencies, when, when combined with reactionary tendencies on the right in general, could lead somebody to, you know, being, um, you know, as extreme as possible in those ways. The thing that makes it very different when you're talking about fascists and, you know, Nazis and neo-Nazis is, you know, there are, there are other ways that they could have gone. Um, you know, you could have, you, you could start getting like, you know, extreme like Reagan memes or something like that, right? Where it's like, you know, or even like, you know, uh, you know, we're gonna, you know, drop nukes on 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 our enemies, but like, you know, under under like a big like American flag. It is it is a real interesting and telling choice um, to 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 really lean into like these specifically fascist tendencies. Um, and for me. It's impossible from from my point of view. It's impossible to understand that without understanding Trump and and you know the the, the very clear, very clear from the beginning of his campaign um, fascist uh, tendencies um, of of Trump's campaign, his first campaign, and of his presidency, um, which culminated for the moment uh, in an attempt to overthrow the the United States government. Um, you know, but you've got you've got all of these different things. And I, I, you know, I talk about in, in my latest book, in Gangsters of Capitalism, um, I talk about um, the ways in which American imperialism in the early 20th century, imperialism in general, um, uh, uh, creates fascism, um, as, you know, Amé Césaire and Franz Fanon and 
uh, Hannah Arendt and you know, lot, lots of writers have, have, have written about this in, in lots of different ways. Um, Arendt calls it the boomerang effect. Um, Fanon says, you know, uh, what is fascism but colonialism practiced in the heart of a traditionally colonialist country? And, uh, you know, I write about the ways in which the, that era of American imperialism came back home in the form of fascism. And, you know, it's, it, it, it is very, very clearly has been happening now. Um, it's very clear that, you know, the, the othering and, and uh, the iron fist and, uh, you know, the, the, the aggressive murderous attitude toward, um, you know, perceived enemies of America and American civilization and Western civilization in general, um, you know, came back home. And it's like, well, if we can do that to, you know, people in the Middle East, why can't we just do that to our our political enemies here? And those things are out there and they are they have become uh, in the Trump era extremely mainstream. I mean, I remember, you know, seven, eight years ago, you know, if you saw like a Punisher decal on somebody's car or a Gadsden flag at, at a, at a protest, you'd be like, Oh, okay. This guy is like, he's a little bit, he's a little bit far right. Now that stuff is just normal. Like, you know, QAnon like boomers, like the idea of, 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 you know, an ideal political settlement, um, being some kind of a civil war or or rounding up the libs and and you know executing them at, at Guantanamo like it's not in the mainstream of the mainstream but like it's close enough that like it, it, you know things like that can be sort of brought up those, in, in more or less I, I view those people as like the the moderates almost. that's what I'm but, saying but, that's what but, I'm saying what, what I'm what I'm saying yeah. I guess it's taking me a while to get there but yeah. what I'm saying is that like if you've got like if 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 being like a three percenter or an oath keeper is is a moderate then like well what are you going to do to to be more extreme than that if you're a teenager or if you're if you're if you're if you're a college student um you know trying to make a name for yourself in in a milieu in which you know the more extreme you are the more attention that you're going to get um, and so like, of course, like the, like the only place to go, um, uh, to the right of that, um, is, is Nazism. Um, and, you know, and I, and, and I don't think that these are things that you can just play with harmlessly, um, without seeing them, without having people, you know, decide at various points to make them a reality. And, Richard Hanania in, in particular, I mean, in, in some ways, as, as I think you were, were noting, they're from different generations, Hanania and Hockman. Um, and, and they also, in, in some ways, are, are kind of two different cases that, that in a lot of ways shine light on one another. Because Hanania comes from being, I am an extremist, like I am a Nazi, and I'm going to moderate my views to get into the mainstream. And Hockman is like, I'm a rising you know, movement conservative, um, you know, he writes for National Review, he gets a, you know, a summer fellowship from the American Enterprise Institute, then he's at the, the Claremont Institute, which is, you know, a harder right, um, but still somewhat on the periphery of, of mainstream. Um, and then how am I going to really, how am I going to, how am I going to um, uh, 
you know, make myself stand out as a, as a speechwriter on this, you know, major national presidential campaign that for a while looked like it had a shot. It doesn't have a shot, but for a while it looked like it might have a shot at, at, at contesting for um, the Republican nomination. Well, what I'm going to do, he talks about this in a piece where he's interviewed in the New York Times Magazine. He talks about being, you know, people who are willing to to go into the you know the, the goo of of the fever swamp, I think is the way he puts it. He definitely uses the word goo, and basically like really, really go and talk to like the absolute like scariest, worst people. And he what he's saying, and and what he clearly the the the, the conclusion that he clearly comes to is I'm going to make neo-Nazi memes to try to get some Nazis onto our campaign to show other Nazis that this is the cool campaign to be part of. And that is how I'm going to distinguish myself in front of this, you know, Republican governor. Um, And that is how I'm going to, you know, build my my power and brand. And once you do that, I mean, it is really hard to, it's really hard to, to, and, and maybe pointless to, um, uh, come up with any kind of differentiation between somebody who's doing that for clout and somebody who's doing it because they actually believe it. And so, you know, Hockman turns into Hanania, Hanania turns into Hockman. They're all just kind of turning into each other. And I don't feel like it's heading in a good direction. Did you read alternativeright.com ever when it was online? Some, I mean, I, okay. I became, I became, you know, like, like a lot of, I mean, when in, 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 in the time that, 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 um, Hanania was writing for them. Um, I was living overseas um, in Haiti, actually, which is another place that uh, that that uh, Hanania as as host went ahead and and wrote a, a column, probably actually in the immediate wake of the of the earthquake in 2010, citing which... the the Nazi author of the Turner Diary. Exactly. Well, exactly. I, I I only ask because I remember that, and I think some people don't understand this, but it's very telling that one of the earliest articles that. Spencer ran on alternativeright.com was by Jason Richwine. Do you remember him? The name rings a bell, but tell me. Yeah, he wrote for it and he got a PhD from Harvard and was like saying like, we shouldn't have low IQ immigrants and stuff. And I think oh, yeah. he lost a job at a- AEI. Got it. But he's Jewish. Got it. And they ran, it was one of their first articles. They ran an article by this Jewish guy. And I don't think the comments were like virulent any- anyways. Right. And a lot of people didn't think Spencer was a Nazi in like 2010 or 2011. Then fast forward to Charlottesville and uh, and it it all became clear. But like compare a Richard Spencer talk from 2010 to a Nick Fuentes talk. Right. Right. If you word search the word Jew or Hitler in the Spencer talk, you wouldn't even find it. Right. Right. It is. So do you agree with me that the Gen Z is much, much, much more extreme than the millennials on the right. They seem to be. I mean, look, this stuff, like, again, this stuff has been out there forever. Um, When I was an undergrad at Northwestern, um, I was there when um, uh, Matthew Hale, um, and it it was his lackey, I think his name was Benjamin Smith or something like that. Oh yeah. Um, when he went Ricky on the shooting Bird spree, song. killed Ricky Birdsong in Evanston. Exactly. I was I was there. I was there was my I think between my freshman and sophomore or sophomore and junior years. I don't remember which. I think it was maybe between my sophomore and junior. Year. You know, like you know, Matt Hale was out there and he was, you know, he was he was very much being a Nazi. Although I, honestly, to be perfectly honest, I think you know, 
he was maybe maybe he was even um tempering some of his pr- public statements um a little bit more than fuentes does um fuentes is really out there i mean he's really he's really he's, he's now calling for killing jews yeah in speeches so. yeah yeah it, it's you know there's there's a lot of I, 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 yeah, I agree. I think, I think things are, are becoming more extreme. I mean, look, it, it is, it's like, um, you know, it's like the, the editor of, of Countercurrent said, um, it's, it's all about, you know, shifting the Overton window. And, and as the Overton window, you know, moves right. Um, and as like it becomes like, as it is a, a, a mainstream position, it's not universal, but a mainstream position within the Republican Party that, Trump was right to try to overthrow the 2020 election and that the people who stormed the Capitol were right to do so. You know, if, if, if that's, if, if that's moderation, you know, that's within the realm of, of acceptable discourse, you know, reasonable people can disagree. Then what's to the right of that. And yeah, I think, I think Gen Z, the, the, the zoomers are are kind of um, volunteering an answer of what's to the right. So, what does the future hold, do you think, for for the likes of, uh, well, let's look at these three, Pedro Gonzalez, um, uh, Hanenia, and Hulkman. Do they all have a lifetime uh, Claremont fellowship in the future? <laughs> I don't know, man. If I knew how to predict the future, um, I'd, I'd be living in a much bigger house. Um Hanania doesn't seem to be paying much of a price other than, you know, getting distanced by, by, you know, Barry Weiss and, and the university of Austin. He's pretty much, you know, and he's giddy about it, right? He's, he's out there talking about how, like, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's survived his, his, his cancellation attempt. You know, I don't know, is he going to get another op-ed in the times at some point? Um, I don't really know. His, um, who, his, who invites him on? for his podcast tour will be very revealing. Yes. Yes. And whether, and if his, and if, 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 uh, if the origin of woke um, gets, you know, reviewed in the times, if it gets a positive review or the wall street journal, et cetera. um, Yeah. If he's, yeah. I mean, he'll be on a book tour. Like, you know, if, you know, if, if he's on CNN, whatever, like that, that could be, I'm sure he'll be on Fox. I I, um, I, th- I think Hulkman has been smart too, because uh, I was eagerly low. awaiting. I was eagerly awaiting his like you know thirty thousand word yeah uh, <laughs> essay where he would explain it. But uh, he hasn't. He's just uh, has he just gone silent except saying he didn't know what the Nazi symbol was. To I guess yeah yeah. I, as far as I can tell, he's younger as well. He's like twenty five. Um, so, you know, Hanania has, has maybe spent a little bit more time in not necessarily the, the major public spotlight, but he's had enough of a taste of, of, of that, that maybe he, he also, again, I mean, Hanania knows how much more extreme he can be and how much more extreme he has been. Um, and so he can, he can sort of point to his more recent output and be like, I'm just calling them animals, but I'm not saying that they should be forcibly sterilized. Um, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still a good guy. Um, whereas Hawkman, you know, you know, really stepped in it. Uh, Hawkman also got fired. Um, whereas Hanani doesn't really have anything to get fired from. Um, I don't know the future of any of these guys and it really ultimately doesn't matter because, you know, they're all, 
to a certain extent replaceable within their movements. I mean, none of these guys are, and this is one of the, the one thing that I have, uh, again, big fan of know your enemy. Um, Sam mattered are terrific. Um, and, and I think most of the things they do are great. The, the, I, I didn't love their episode, you know, sort of following up on, on, on the Hawkman stuff. Um, I thought it was a little too defensive. Like I get it. You want to talk to lots of different kinds of people. You're a podcast about the right. It's useful to talk to the right. Sometimes Matt came from the right. I, I, I all of those things are, are fair, but you know, the, the, their idea that like, well, and, and, you know, Hawkman was this, you know, very promising, very bright. He's not that smart. <laughs> I read the things he's written. It's, they're not that good. They're easily replaceable. And I don't even know anything about this Pedro Gonzalez guy, but, you know, and Hinania, like he's not that bright. He's like, he's, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy sell. Like he's, he's, you know, he, he, he can, he can string together coherent sentences as he's calling for the, for the, the, the repeal of, of the, the civil rights act or, or saying that like, well, people are calling for the repeal of the civil rights act or it's, it's unrealistic to expect that to happen, but we can just like make it. So it's, it's essentially a, a dead letter. Um, like that's an argument. You can get that from any, you know, from, 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 from you know a dozen different people um, of of his political persuasion. So if all of those guys you know stop working um, and they stop getting published, there will be others um, to 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 yeah. uh, come along. They'll, they'll find another guy who who for totally libertarian reasons right. just happens to want to get rid of the Civil Rights Act. Very, exactly. exactly. Very passionately. Um, exactly. I I just want to end on some of the broader stuff about you know the. We just had this Republican presidential or this uh, nomination debate without Trump, right? Um, do you do you, do you have any thoughts on that? And sort of where what? Let's say Trump dies of a heart attack. You know what? Let's say what that. is the trajectory <laughs> this party is. Let's on. just keep talking about that. Yeah, I, man. So all right, a couple different things. Um, you know, you're asking about my predictions for the future and I don't have any. And one of the reasons I don't have a prediction is because things will go in. There's so many different variables out there that could go in so many different directions. Right. I mean, there's a pending lawsuit against Trump right now on the basis of the 14th Amendment. It's at least been filed in federal court that under the 14th Amendment, because he you know, participated in an insurrection against the U.S. government, he's ineligible to hold high office. I, I, that's a good. I think one can definitely make a case about that. Um, uh, if that came through and he wasn't able to run, who the hell knows what would happen, right? Or if he dies of a heart attack, um, if he does run, you know, would he beat Biden? I don't know. Everybody hates, like, he's a very unpopular guy. Nikki, she made one very good point during the, she made two very good points during that debate. One was that, um, running on a, a federal abortion ban is going to um, lose <laughs> Republicans every election nationally. Um, I think that's absolutely true. The other one is, is you know, that, that Donald Trump is, is, I think she said, you know, the least popular politician or the most hated politician in America. It's absolutely true. Like in some ways, him running against, you know, Biden, um, you know, uh, could do Biden some favors. Although with Biden, we've got like an 82-year-old I mean, he's doing, I guess he's like a little bit more compass mentis than like your, your average or basic 82 year old, but he's old. He's very old and he's, he's not getting any younger. And I'm, I'm, I don't know what this election is going to be like. 
Um, but it really kind of trying trying to read those political tea leaves. Oh, and the other question about the the um, the debate, uh, Vivek uh, 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 Ramaswamy. Um, you know, he's definitely the breakout star. I mean, that th- that debate absolutely confirmed. Not that there was really any question that um, Ron DeSantis has um, like the charisma of of like a of like a a. a decaying phone book i mean he's just no one no one he's not going to inspire anybody um and so yeah i i understand why ramaswamy came out of that you know with the media kind of anointing him and 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 the right commentariat kind of anointing him as you know the new number two in the race but ramaswamy is like 40 points behind trump like in the in the average it, poll. it's gonna be trump it's, it's gonna, gonna be trump, trump. And Ramaswamy is like, he's, I'm sorry, like, you can't, you can't become the leader of a coalition dominated by white Christian nationalists as a, as a practicing Hindu, not to mention an Indian person. Like, it's just like, they're not going to go for They're not going to go for Jonathan, if they caught Trump, if the FBI on camera caught Trump laying like explosive devices under a kindergarten tomorrow. I think he would still get the nomination. I think he would still they, get the nomination. I think they would say he was trying to prevent a satanic ceremony. It was. There was. It was the 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 FBI planted them. There were federal agents involved. It was. It's all fake news. It was AI. The video's AI. No, it'll. No, there's nothing. There's nothing he can do. There's nothing that he can do except except if if a if a court of law like. If 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 basically if like the Supreme Court rules it like with, with like a like like with a majority consisting uh, of like Trump appointed justices rule that Donald Trump is constitutionally ineligible to run for president, that's pretty much the only thing that could keep him from winning the like or not from 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 have, like having like a a, a a a point of contesting the presidency and probably winning the Republican nomination. But even then, I think if they did that, like he would still if he still has breath in his body. He would still, you know, try to mount a third party run and he'd probably still end up with at least 20 percent of, of still, the vote. So yeah. uh, Peter, Peter Thiel is worth seven billion uh, and it's uh, Mark Andreessen is worth over one billion. Elon Musk, who's sort of part of that same crew, over a hundred billion. Did I say million? If I said million before, I meant billion. Yeah. Um, but Peter Thiel, boy, he just collects these young right wingers like yeah like jd vance Viv, i mean he, he he has like so many of these guys yeah curtis yarvin is not that young but it's like if you're like a right wing crank and these guys like you i yeah. guess they're just gonna support them for life i mean i mean these are these are long this is a longer conversation we've already had a very long conversation but the, it, it you know the world is 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 becoming in a lot of ways like physically a more extreme place um and part of my one of my you know sort of pet theories and i think that there's you know evidence for this is that like you can't you can't disaggregate this from climate change um with from from both sort of like the millennial aspects of like not millennial in terms of the millennial generation but the millennial in 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 terms of like apocalyptic you know um that 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 valence of the word millennial um you know there's 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 a sense that like 
you know, the world might be ending. It might not. Um, I'm not saying I'm not you know saying that it is. I mean, climate change is is, is a very very dire threat to to civilization and to the species. Um, but 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 just sort of that psychic sense as it exists right now, like in in, in the early 2020s, like it's just kind of driving people crazy and it's making people more extreme and do more extreme things. The other thing is that like in terms of like history, you know, the the World War II generation um, is basically gone. Everybody, you know, the, the number of people who were even alive, you know, during the Holocaust and they were, you know, basically babies during it um, or, or young children, um, they're they're we're losing them very quickly. And Nazism is surging. Yeah. At the same time. It's no. <laughs> and, and all and all those all those things, all those things kind of go together. And I don't think I don't know if you could have like like history is very history is contingent, like nothing's inevitable. It, it, it would be insanity to think that like there was anything inevitable about about the Trump you know uh, 2016 presidential run, um, but that but that that run was successful and and that that we're in the world that we're in now, um, and that again he tried to overthrow you know the 2020 he tried to overthrow the U.S. government you know in, in the 2020 election, like we're really in a we're really in a space right now where it seems like anything's possible, but at the same time. Um, like I am, you know, a, 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 an eternal and somewhat tactical optimist, you know, there, we're also in a point where, you know, people are talking about, um, new and exciting, hopeful ways of making society better, um, and addressing climate change and strengthening society. And that's also a thing that's out there in conversation. So, you know, to, you know, to, 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 to make guesses, you, you can't guess, but, you know, in terms of American politics, you know, what happens in the 2024 election, um, if Trump wins or if, if, if his anointed, you know, MAGA, uh, uh substitute or whatever wins, you know, I, I, it, it does not seem like these guys are going to mellow out at all. Well, well so. it's good to have a little hope at the end before we go. Yeah. Please plug the racket and please talk about this great book you just put out before you go. Sure. The racket is my newsletter. Um, you can find it at theracket.news. Uh, you got to put the the in because um, somebody else, I won't name him, uh, <laughs> decided to, to, to cop my, uh, my, my, my URL even. Um, so it's theracket.news, but uh, you, can, you can find my newsletter there. I write about foreign policy and domestic politics and uh um you know a lot lately about Richard Hanania but but uh, that that won't be a permanent condition i hope um and my book uh that came out in uh, uh just came out in paperback this month in august um it's called gangsters of capitalism smedley butler the marines and the making and breaking of america's empire it is about um this fascinating guy a marine named smedley butler um, who was uh, it's a true story? He was uh, he fought in every overseas invasion, occupation, uh, war that the United States participated in from 1898 until the eve of World War II. He was twice the recipient of the Medal of Honor, um, but at the end of his life became an anti-war, anti-imperialist activist. Um, and I traveled all over the world, basically talking about uh, the ways in which uh, America's imperial past is forgotten in our country and remembered in other places. Um, and as I was talking about earlier, um, you know, had has this tendency then and now to uh, come back home in the form of fascism. So it's a good we, book. Check it out. We, I, yeah. I'm just curious. The first person I heard Smedley Butler's name from was actually Alex Jones many yes. years ago. 
Did he try to inv- interview you by any chance? He did not. He did not. Oh, and I, ca- I came. I yeah. No, that would have been. Uh, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gone on. But um, but um, yeah. That that was one thing about writing about Smedley Butler. Um, is it definitely puts me in proximity to to a lot of interesting people and some some interesting conversations. Um, I I encountered Smedley Butler through Haiti. Um, because Smedley Butler played a major role in the U.S. Uh, occupation of Haiti from 1915 to 1934. Um, he was there at the beginning during the original invasion yeah, we, phase. And I would love to. I would love to discuss Haiti with you sometime in the future. Yeah, yep. but because uh, that country really is um, in bad, dire straits. Right it really now. is. It really is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, it was really a pleasure to talk to you, and um, thank you for your reporting. Now. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.